Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a weekly conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold. I'm joined this morning with Dylan Keniston. Uh, good morning, Dylan. How are you? Bright and early. Good morning. Loving it. Yeah, very, very bright, very early, <laughs> but it's good. It's that is good. okay. Yeah, absolutely. We're early guys here. We are. Early people. That's right. The early bird catches the, the early bird catches the worm, man. That's Don't right. forget it. That's right. Get man. some. That's right. <laughs> Channeling um, Jocko Willink. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, on this uh, early morning, and, and by the way, we thank you for, for joining us uh, on our podcast this morning and tuning in to listen. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about the topic of uh, of the church. Uh, recently, we've covered the topic of the atonement. We've covered topics such as uh, God's love. And now uh, we want to take a look at uh, the the people to whom God's redemptive love has been shown, and that is and that is the church, the bride of Christ. And so um, we kind of want to start off theological, and then we'll end with some some practical application there. But we do need to always start with uh, with God's word there. So I'm going to open up the discussion, uh, Dylan, by uh, asking you uh, kind of the age old question is. What is the church, and why is it important, if at all? <laughs> what is the church, and why is it important? All right. So, uh, yes, it's important. <laughs> um, why is it important? It's God's idea. We'll start there, mm. right? This is this is not something that human beings just kind of made up and like, hey, you know, we we need to we need to get the gospel out there. So let's call an assembly. Let's you know, strike a meeting and here, get a committee together and get a whole bunch of people. Like, <clears throat> this was not like, you know, the, the apostles just hanging around, like brainstorming this thing. This is God's idea, yeah. right? So if we think about it, God has always worked. Um, first of all, God is community, right? God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hmm. When we think about how that then manifests in, in the people that God creates, creates in his image, we too are likewise meant to live in community. Um, and now that you can have... Community doesn't necessarily mean it's an intrinsic good, right? You can have communities that are uh, offensive to oh, God. Like gangs right? or like something ga- like that, right? Or, or like Babel, right? You get a whole bunch of people very unified, very into community, right? But at the same <laughs> they're time, all about community. They're all about community, but but against the Lord, right? So that's not good either. Um, so, so community is not an intrinsic good. But what it is saying mm-hmm. is it, it, it does fit into this pattern of um, how and, well, say maybe who God calls, right? So... Um, I mean, God creates Adam and Eve, yeah. right? Yeah. So then likewise, when God, I'm skipping around quite a bit, God calls Abraham and his family, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and then likewise, in, um, in kind of a, like, who, who are the people of God ultimately, where, where that covenant promise manifests itself is Israel, right? As God's people, the yes. locus of the covenant community mm-hmm. being a nation in the old covenant context. So then likewise, in, in a new covenant context now, we see not a nation, but a transnational organization, the church. And church is just, it's, so the root, the, the, um, the, the root there is uh, called out, basically, the, the word church. The ecclesia. Ecclesia. Right from the Greek there. Exactly. Yeah. You just, it's, it's a community of people who have been called out. Now, called out from where? Called out from the world, right? So you belonged to the world. You were in Adam, if I can put it that way. Uh, and now you've been called out of this uh, unregenerate context and mm-hmm. into the, uh, the the locus of the community of the people of God. Yeah. Um, and and so that and that has a whole bunch of kind of uh, things that come along with it. But but that I think at is at root what's what we're talking about. Yeah. And so that need for a community, you say it's it's rooted in in who God is as a, as a triune God. So He's communal in that sense. And then you would say it's also part of who we are as image of image bearers. You know, Adam and Eve were. It was not good for man to be alone. So the first community is is formed as marriage and, and family, right? And then, of course, it it grows from there. Uh, uh, that's so so so. You you would say that all humans, really, all, all people desire community. Oh, would yeah, you say that we all desire that in our hearts? Absolutely. I mean, we are social creatures. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I would. I would put it that way, yeah. Okay, and that uh, some try to find a community in other things, but God has given us uh, a holy community to be a part of. Yes, exactly. Like, so <clears throat> we we are social, uh, 
creatures mm-hmm. precisely because we're made in God's image. Mm-hmm. And we have Father, Son, and, and, and Holy Spirit as a community of persons mm-hmm. within the one triune God. Yeah, okay. So let's, um, with that said, take a look at some passages in Scripture to see, okay, what is the church doing and, and uh, how is it even formed? And one of the more popular passages or uh, one of the more well-known passages, I would say, probably amongst the more uh, Roman Catholic church uh, would be Matthew chapter, chapter 16. Sure. Uh, and uh, I'll read to you here uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so with that passage, uh, we do see uh, Jesus used the word church, talks about building his church upon a rock, which we can dive into a little bit here shortly, what that is referring to. And that this, this organization has been, or I should say, Peter, and we could talk about who else, perhaps, other disciples, are being uh, given these keys. The keys that allow binding and loosing to take place. So, in 30 seconds or less now, <laughs> go ahead and, uh, and answer, like, you know, who's the rock and how do the keys fit in here? Yeah. Well, so bef- I'll answer that or I'll give my take on that. And then, but before I do that, I want to back up. So interestingly, so I remember doing a word study on the word church in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I did this a couple of years ago and all I really did was I pulled out all the uses of the word church Yeah. and I said, okay, just, just for fun, right? How many of these uses refer to, uh, let's, let's say, you know, what, what Rome mm-hmm. thinks of or what lower let's call it mm-hmm. lowercase c catholic church the church universal right where where the use of the word church intends the the locus of god's people in a in, in this in transnational a in a global sense okay. exactly versus how many of these uses of the word church mm-hmm. are, ex, are are localized they're, they're talking to a very specific uh, ge- group of geographic, folks right yeah. geographically local so mm-hmm. It's astonishing that, so what I was, I found about 10, so there's about a hundred, I think there's 105 uses of the word church. Uh, Somebody could correct me on that if they're doing a a word study, if I missed a few, um, or if I threw in too many there, but it's roughly 105. And of those uses, about 10 of those referred to the universal Mm -hmm. body that I was, by my calculation, whereas about 95 of them were local, right? Okay. So this instance, though, where Matthew uh, 16, 18, where the word church appears and Jesus is using it, is this universal concept, yes. right? So yes. this is this is not kind of one, this, this is uh, a little bit of a, it's, it's not unique, but it's the less frequent mm-hmm. use of the word. So why does that matter? It, it matters because it ties back to what we envision, what do we mean when we say the church? I mean, is it a building, right? Is it <laughs> is a church a building? Is it is a church? So for example, <clears throat> if you just... You're hanging out with some friends, some Christian friends, and you're at the grocery store, and uh, you know where, and you start praying, you know where two or more are gathered in my in my name. There I am. I yeah. mean, are, is that a church? So mm-hmm. if you're having Thanksgiving dinner, and someone wants to break out uh, bread and wine and and have communion mm-hmm. or have you know the ordinance of the Lord's Supper during Thanksgiving dinner with all kinds of friends and family around, is that the church? Are you doing church? You see, so mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, you, you realize that it's a little bit of a sticky thing that you want to just, like, think through carefully what we mean by church. So here, th- there's a couple of different things we could say. But, right, I would say, number one, we're talking about um, where the gospel, the word of God is rightly preached. Mm-hmm. Number two, where the ordinances are properly administered. And number three, where discipline is um, is practiced, 
right? So, and okay. this ties back to one of the purposes of the church is to make, so if we say that the church is the locus of God's people in a new covenant context, then part of the church's role is to, is to clarify to the watching world the, what it looks like to be a Christian. What is, how does the gospel manifest itself in the lives of God's people, yes. right? And that needs to be crystal clear because that's, make it, we're making a distinction fundamentally in who, who, like, who gets to be a member of a local church, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just anybody. It's not just someone who does not acknowledge the, the Lord Jesus Christ as, yes. as their Lord and Savior. It is only those who have, it's full of sinners, right? The hot, the, what is the old saying? The church is not a, a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners or yeah, something along country, those lines. It's not a country club. It's saints. not a country club for sinners. Well, there's some truth to that, but, but for, but, but it's not a country club. Uh, it, it's a hospital for sinners, but it's a hospital for repentant sinners. Yes, that's right. Right. Yeah. So, so you, there is this distinction of those who have identified with Christ and those who have, who's been called out of the world and those who have not. Right. So when we talk about now church discipline, at just as one of those key markers, right? Again, what is the core function? It's to, it, one, one of the core functions I would say is to make clear this, like how the gospel manifests itself in the lives of God's people. Okay. And without church discipline, if you take that away, you, you can get all kinds, because we are still sinners after all, right? Yes. We're still living on this side of glory. We don't, we're not, we're not in a glorified state yet. So, so as that happens, if, if we are not, kept on the straight and narrow, if we don't have that accountability built in, then there is risk that that clarity of the gospel to the world becomes obscured by sin, right? So what do we see mm -hmm. like in First Corinthians with, we have the use case where, you know, some young man I think was, was, um, having, having an affair inappropriate with, relationship inappropriate with relationships mother-in-law. Mother, exactly. But, but Paul was like, you guys didn't throw this guy, like, you guys should have thrown this guy out. If you don't throw this guy out, by the time I get there, I'm going to throw this guy out. That's right. And he right. says, even the pagans don't. Even the pagans don't tolerate something that. Something like right. that. So, so, yeah. but, what, but why is it so urgent, right? It's because it obscures the clarity of the, mm -hmm. of, of the vision of what it means to be God's people. It compromises mm -hmm. that. Okay, why do I bring all this well, up? Well, I was going to say, so, so yeah. you mentioned the three aspects. You mentioned three aspects. The, yeah. The preaching of the word, the administration of the, of the ordinances and then church discipline, right? The use of church discipline. And it seems like at least, well, two, at least one very explicitly is mentioned in this passage we just read as far as the binding, uh, loosing and binding on <sighs> heaven and on earth. That's where I'm that's that's where where we're going. That's where we're going. Exactly. So, okay. So, so yeah. all right. So now let's so show, you know, show in that passage how that, like who is given those keys and how does that play out? Yes. So... <clears throat> So it, again, it ties back to the, the thing that mm -hmm. is distinguishing this locus of community is, is Christ, right? It's allegiance to Christ, and how that comes about is through the gospel, mm -hmm. right? So this is a this is the group of people who have repented from their sins and have trusted exclusively in the in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ mm -hmm. for forgiveness of their sins. So here, when was, let let's start at verse eighteen. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Which, by the way, what a beautiful promise that is. Like, yeah. So, mm -hmm. for whatever it's worth, Jesus does not say, and my church will never err. Yeah. Right? Jesus does not say, and my church is perfect, and it it, it, it doesn't say that. He says, the gates of hell are not going to prevail, mm -hmm. right? This is secured on what Christ has accomplished, and it's a beautiful promise. That's mm -hmm. awesome, right? Okay, mm -hmm. so, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So think of it this way. When, when, when the church as church exercises discipline, I do think that that registers in heaven a little bit differently than a kind of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, any old reprimand from a friend to a friend, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Um so first of all, I, I think, so the keys are, I would think something like the gospel, right? So in other words, it's, it is allegiance to the gospel yes. that binds and looses yeah. with respect to uh, how that plays out in, a, in the context of church discipline. It's based, if you're exercising church discipline, it is like all the way up to, let's say, excommunication, mm -hmm. then you are saying, um, you know, th this local organization of God's people is does not 
acknowledge you as like as as a Christian, as one of our own, because you're living in such a way that compromises the integrity, your integrity, and the integrity of Christ thereby, and your witness. Right, yeah. you're compromising that, and you can't continue to live in a manner that compromises that. And now you repent from that. We want you back with open arms. Like when you talk, mm-hmm. when Paul talks about excommunication, he says, "Look, the whole point is that you hope that by turning them over to Satan, they repent and they come back, and you, you welcome them back." Yeah, that's right? right. Yeah. So, that's so right. like that's that's the heart of it. It's a heart of love. It says, "Look, you can't keep going this way because if as you continue down this path, this is where you're going." Right, and you're you're no longer marching together in this community of God's people into eternity and in, into glory. Mm-hmm. So now, so when we talk about the keys of the kingdom, right, it that's what we're talking about. It is the recognized allegiance to Christ by way of belief in the gospel, and then living out the implications of yeah. that. Yeah, well, that makes sense because for uh, for those listening, if you're curious about where the whole keys thing goes, it if you take a couple chapters later in chapter 18, you see, because in chapter 16, Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And so it seems like it's referring to an event in the future. And uh, I think a strong argument could be made that in Matthew chapter 18, the keys are actually given then. Uh, because in the passage that you even you referenced a little earlier uh, the passage about your brother sinning against you. So, again, I'll, I'll read here from Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth <coughs> shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And again, you had kind of alluded to that passage earlier, yeah, and, yeah. and while, while I think perhaps an argument might be made that in some general sense, any gathering of two or three of God's people implies the presence of Christ among them. This passage is specifically talking about church discipline, and that's where that two or three are gathered is referring to. Mm-hmm. And it's the binding and loosing on earth and heaven, exercising via church discipline. Yes. You know, go to your brother, bring some witnesses, go to the church, and then, okay, this person is now basically excluded from the fellowship because they are not acting like a Christ follower. Exactly. Like and, yeah. and, and and here, too, so so interestingly, when you come to Matthew 18, 17, and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, or back to this word study thing for a minute. Yeah. Is that church? So if we say in Matthew 16, 18, I, I think the use there is is universal, right? So in this case, though, I think it's local. Right. So in other words, is Jesus saying, you know, if your brother sins against you and he doesn't listen to anybody, tell it to every single Christian alive. Like send letters to everyone. S- send letters to everyone. Right. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that's what's going on here. It's like Jesus is acknowledging like there, there is going to be a local manifestation of mm-hmm. his people. And in that co- it's going to be the community in which this particular brother who's going astray lives and moves and has his being. And it is to be those who are really mm-hmm. ideally th- those who are closest to him. Right, who who love him, who come alongside him, who live yeah. with him, who see these things in him, and can come alongside him and you know lovingly challenge him on these things, even ultimately rebuke him in these things, um, and and if he refuses to listen to them, then treat him as you would a, a gentile or tax collector. In other words, treat him like you like you would someone who is not uh, a, a, a member of the locus of God's people. Yes, right. Yeah. Like that's ultimately what I think is going on here. Now, this passage, the reason you bring it up is, is so important, I'm glad you did, is because it's two chapters after Matthew 16, what we just read, yes. and it ties back to this language about uh, binding and loosing, right? And yes. here it kind of manifests itself more clearly in a context of, of church discipline, and that's what ties it back to mm-hmm. um, Matthew 16, verse 19. Yeah, no, but the question is then, uh, and I just want to see how you, what your thoughts are on this as far as our Roman Catholic friends would would say, okay, well, Peter is 
the rock upon which ah, yeah. the church is built, and the keys are given to him. Yeah. Now, so it would seem in Matthew 16, perhaps you could say, okay, well, Peter, he is, you know, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he does say, I'll give you the keys. But then in Matthew 18, in that passage on church discipline, he's talking to all the disciples yeah. and referring to all of them having binding and loosing authority right. in that regard. So yeah. how would you respond to perhaps the Roman Catholic who would say, aha, Peter is the rock, he has the keys, and that's why the Roman Catholic Church is the final authority and Peter's the first pope. Got it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> not to spend too much time on that, but it's no, an important no. question. Yeah, it's a super important question. Because if we're, because if, because yeah. if we're wrong, then you and I, as Protestants, are outside of the church. Yeah, that's that's right. That's exactly right. So, yeah. um, so all right. So let's. I think it's worth unpacking. So we're talking about Matthew mm -hmm. uh, sixteen, verse eighteen, mm -hmm. and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So. The, it's worth teasing out the three different, you can interpret this passage a number of ways, but historically, most interpretations have funneled along one of three tracks. Are they all right? legitimate, though? I don't think so. Okay. Well, it depends what we mean by that. I'll come, that's a good question. Is there only one correct interpretation? Well, I think ultimately, yeah, but I, but I think that... Uh, at, at the same time. But so it's not that like you can make scripture say whatever you, you can't want. just make scripture. Exactly. Like God knows exactly what, what was intended by this passage. Uh, <laughs> even if we're too thick to get it, including oftentimes, sometimes myself. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I think uh, historically though, interpretations of this passage run along one of three tracks. So one track says, um, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And by this rock, um, this interpretation says what is meant is Peter's confession in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, mm -hmm. right? So the rock upon which the church is built is the confession of Christ as the son of the living God. I mean, uh, from to, to, to many Protestant ears, that sounds appealing, right? So that's, oh, yeah. that's one interpretation. Sure. Another interpretation says where, where Jesus is the rock. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, you can kind of imagine Jesus pointing to himself. Yeah, we don't and have the visual, but... We yeah. don't have the visual, but yeah. that's kind of like what, what this interpretation demands. And on this rock, this, being, this rock being I myself, Christ, the speaker, on this rock, myself, I will build my church, mm. right? So that's another interpretation. Yeah. A third interpretation says, Peter's just the rock. Right, like uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And it's a play on words because Peter, Petros. Yes, exactly. Right, exactly, exactly. So, um, I, I am open to correction on this. <laughs> I'll just put that out before I before I show my hand. Um, I'm I'm teachable on this, uh, my friends. So, I tend to actually lean on the thir the third interpretation. Mm -hmm. I actually do think that Peter is the rock largely because of the play on words but to a to a to a roman friend i would say i don't think that 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 interpretation demands the conclusion that you think it does i don't think that that yeah. leads to uh peter's first pope exegetically rather i think in connection with matthew 18 with what you were saying before where the binding and loosing seems to go beyond peter i think what's happening is peter is a first among equals Right. Mm -hmm. So in other words, it's it's not that Peter is kind of in a I, I don't think I, I don't think that here Jesus is setting Peter aside mm -hmm. as in a class by himself, kind of a cut above the other apostles. Yeah, because later on, he calls him Satan. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like one chapter later, he yeah. says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so I think I think it's an uphill exegetical argument to to say that. Peter is somehow a cut above the mm -hmm. rest of the disciples or the rest of the apostles in, in his authority or in his insight. I do think what you have here is, is Peter being called out as a first among equals. So when he's talking about building his church, he is talking about building his church on the testimony of the apostles, right? So like if, so for example, if the apostles were still here living today, um, we would be sitting at their feet and taking on the teaching that they have for us, right? Because that they, they got from Christ. They got from Christ, exactly. Yeah. But the reason that the, the one of the reasons there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons why we turn to scriptures is because the scriptures is the only place where we have the 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 teachings of the original apostles <laughs> that is from them. It's not like you know what um, 
what what Paul handed down to Timothy, right? And and then now Timothy handed down to the next person, and then that person handed down to the next person, kind of like what Rome thinks of it. Well, a lot of times, so ultimately what you have there is you you get, as you go further down that line, competing testimonies of who was saying or teaching what, right? Mm-hmm. And ultimately it gets very difficult to tie back what teaching was originally apostolic unless you can tie it back to what they wrote. Yes. Right? Yes. So that's it's pure speculation. Otherwise, it's speculation. Exactly. So that's one of the things that we see preserved for us in the scripture. This is what we have handed down mm-hmm. to us uh, from from those who learned and, and sat at the feet of Christ himself. So you would basically say that even, even though that passage could be referring to Peter as the, the rock, the rest of scripture... Uh, it doesn't imply necessarily that he's the first pope because we see the keys given to a broader uh, group of individuals in the next two chapters. And then, of course, Paul himself will later on in Galatians chastise Peter exactly for not eating with the Gentiles. Right, that's and a Peter good point. Peter doesn't say, mm-hmm. hold on, Sonny, I'm the pope. Don't you dare say that to me. Yeah. Peter doesn't say that. He actually is convicted and changes his his behavior yeah. You know, from Paul, the disciple who showed up late to the party, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. so, uh, okay, well, that's fair. I mean, it's helpful. Yeah, and so like that's helpful to our listeners, too, as far as, like, working that out. Yeah, like, I, I again, I'm teachable on this, right? Sure. It could be that the confession is the rock. I'm open to that. <clears throat> I don't think it explains the play mm-hmm. on words very well, mm-hmm. which I do think is intentional. Um, and, and I also don't think that if you if you say that Peter is the rock in this context— Peter is just a first among equals. I don't think that that requires yeah. a kind of him being a pope-esque mm-hmm. figure or a kind of cut above the rest of the apostles. Okay. Yeah. So bringing it from, you know, transitioning a little bit from the from the foundational theological to the, the practical then. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the, a question could be asked, okay, so if the church is so vital, so important, can a person be saved apart from the church? Oh. Because we know... <laughs> So we know many people who, who you know, why well, I, I know I have family, family members who um, confess Christ as Lord and they do not attend. They're not, you know, they're not a member of the local body. They're not involved in the church. And yeah. they would perhaps say that they don't need to be, to be saved. How would you respond to that? What are your thoughts on, on that situation? Uh, well, I mean, that, that general issue in America, very much individualism yeah. and, and being a lone ranger a Christian. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like as Americans, like we tend to be kind of individualistic, like that tends to be a bent. And we're happy to, you know, a lot of times just go about our lives and kind of like these, these bubbles or we got our phones. It's just, you know, me and my feed. Right. So like and, and we want to kind of so personalize faith mm-hmm. the, the, isn't it just about me and jesus right i don't really need the church to be saved yeah i'm it's spiritual just, but not religious I, or i'm tired of man-made religion i just want jesus yeah and, and ultimately or no creed but christ yeah exactly <laughs> but but like all yeah. no creed but christ exactly but ultimately <laughs> all of these kind of are, are so personalizing uh faith and and religion almost like commoditizing it right in in a, in a way that's like it's something that it's just it's mine it's then and the church is not, is is not that the, so the church is not just something that affects you personally right it has uh ramifications beyond you beyond me it has ramifications even beyond the church qua church right it has ramifications socially and ramifications for the world so that you, you so a lot of times people say today well yeah i'm i'm religious or i'm, yeah. I'm a christian i believe in christianity sure. whatever sure um but it doesn't affect your life. It doesn't affect your your how your your views on anything. It doesn't affect your uh, your politics. It doesn't your affect what you, your relationships. It doesn't affect what you do with your money. It doesn't affect this or that or this or that. Yeah. So like, and that is not <laughs> God's plan for for your life. If I be a little cliched there, like yeah. in the context of the local church, it's meant to reverberate through all of how you live. So now, if someone says. I don't need the church to be saved. I'm just, it's just me and my Bible. It's just me and Jesus. Mm-hmm. First of all, that is not God's plan. Remember, God's plan is to, is, is he calls a people to himself. His, the, the bride of Christ, the church, 
is a community mm-hmm. in in the old covenant. He calls a people to himself, Israel, a right? body, a body, a body. He calls yeah. it to himself. So so he's not just like uh, kind of. The, the, the point, so even though he might look at like you, Eric, or me, Dylan, or whoever, and say like, yes, I set my affection on you from before the beginning of the world, and you are one who it, who he has purposed to save and call out from the world. That's a beautiful truth. But you are not alone in that, yeah. and you're not meant to be alone in that. You think of how many different one another's the, in, in the New Testament there are, mm. you know, commands to, to, to love one another, do li- doing life together. How can we obey any of these commands? By this, the world will know. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. How are we going to manifest that to the world if we're not loving one another? How are we going to be loving one another when we're not committed to one another in the context of a local church? And and being identified through baptism and practicing the Lord's Supper together and— uh, and, and sitting under the right preaching of the word because we need the gospel. And sometimes, who is it? Somebody was telling this story where— they they were saying, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I used to, I, I didn't like going to church, right? And they were like, and the reason I didn't like going to church was because it just felt repetitive. Like, I got the same mm-hmm. Jesus message every single week. And then I didn't like it. But then as I got older, I started to realize kind of like, why that is, is because I needed it. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? True. Like, I, I was so, I was so prone to wander in my own life that I needed that old mm-hmm. story again and again. We needed to be reminded of it. So if somebody were to say to me today, um, I don't need the church to be saved. So look, salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But like yes. you, you, but the grace that saves is never alone. So I would go so far as to say there is no ordinary means mm-hmm. of salvation I was just gonna apart yep. from the church. Yep. There isn't. So even look, even you can't hide behind Protestantism to go say, I don't need the church. It doesn't work, right? Even Calvin says, those to whom God is a father, the church must also be a mother. Mm-hmm. He writes that in, in Institutes. That's, those are strong. Like we hear that and we're like, like something in our, in our American. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> Romish to our, to our Americanized Protestant sensibilities. But, but that's, that's right. Like we, we are called to be members of a local church mm-hmm. and, and, you think of like First um, John, uh, where where John writes, um, if if someone I forget it's First John two I think where I'd have to go back find the citation, but sure. if someone uh, l- loves his brother, he is manifesting that he is one with Christ, uh, in Christ. But if he hates his brother, he is a liar and hates God. Right. So in other words, mm-hmm. part of what it looks like to actually love Christ is to love Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, first Peter makes, uh, makes the same point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in first Peter three, um, what is it? Three fourteen, where he says, part of how you, uh, manifest this love is in, is towards one another. Uh, first Peter two, sorry. But mm-hmm. yeah, ultimately I, I think if someone like, like a lot of people have been hurt by the church and have been hurt by Christians and Christianity and just kind of want to withdraw and kind of internalize their faith in, in that way. Um, yeah. But I would say, don't, don't give up on God's plan, right? Yeah. Lean, like you, you've been hurt, right? And, and part of it too is you, here's what you don't want to say. I, I get, uh, I bristle a bit when I hear Christians kind of throw the church under the bus and mm-hmm. just like, is it, mm-hmm. well, well, those are those Christians over there, but you know, we, we don't over do here, that over here. We don't do that. We we're don't. not like that. Or you just kind of like, or, or yeah, the church has been awful, but we're so much better today yeah. or we're so much better over here. And like, don't throw Christ's bride under the bus, right? Yeah. Like, like, first of all, you're not, you're not better. Like if you, what you win someone with is what you're going to win them to. Sure. If you, if you win someone who has been hurt in the past by the church, you win them with uh, hey, we're better than that. Come over here. Then the first whiff of some sinner, because a sinner, sinners we still are, uh, in the local church who who offends this person or who compromises this person's trust, and it's it's likely going to happen because we're still sinners, right? That's we're, true. And so the first thing that happened, that person's gone, right? You're just like everyone else. You're just like all the other Christians. You said you don't were make different. empty promises. Don't make empty <clears throat> promises. So instead, what you say is, look. I know that you have been 
hurt by the church. And honestly, the fact that you were hurt by, by Christians does compromise, like it, it hurts our, it, it hurts our witness. It does. And, and I can't tell you that we're uh, awesome over here and we're, we're better than that. Cause you know what, honestly, we're sinners too. But what I can tell you is that we are sinners who are repentant and in pursuit of uh, sanctification. We're in pursuit of Christ and we're not perfect, but we're, we're, we would love to walk this alongside you and, mm-hmm. and pray with you and, and spend time with you and get to know you and just do life together as we pursue Christ in community. Like that's, that's much more honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, if, if you ask me the strict question, does someone need the church to be saved? No, you could have someone on their deathbed who repents and yeah. confesses Christ. I see. But I don't think that if you have some, like, if you have someone who just chooses not to participate in God's plan, forsaking the fellowship, they just they forsake the fellowship. They are walking in disobedience to Christ, right? Yeah. This is part of the reason why church membership is so important. I know that might be a different topic for a different. Yeah, day, yeah, but... no, sure. So uh, I was referencing there in Hebrews it says, "Do not forsake the gathering of of yeah. believers." But but I think that's, I mean, that's important. Uh, what you brought up as far as like. We do need to recognize that we, on a daily or a regular basis, we need the fellowship of other believers, and we need to hear the preaching of God's Word. We need to be always renewed, always washed with that. And in fact, uh, uh, Paul uses that language in Ephesians chapter 5, when he refers to uh, the well, husbands love your wives as Christ, Christ loved the church, but then he talks about uh, how Christ is is washing the church. He says in uh, verse twenty-five uh, of chapter five, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." But then he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus is doing these things. He is washing his bride, he's perfecting her, he's sanctifying her through the word. And as individual Christians, we need to be washed, sanctified with the word. And that primarily happens through the corporate gathering of God's people, the hearing of the the word of God. Uh, There's other, I think, uh, relevant reasons as to why uh, Christians should, uh, you know, not forsake the church. And part of that is well, uh, as Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the giving of gifts, right? So everyone has been given spiritual gifts. And, you know, if you're out there and you're, uh, you don't want to be part of the church as a Christian, uh, just consider the fact that you're not using the gifts that God gave you. Those gifts were meant to build up the body. They're meant to build each other up uh, as, as one body of Christ. And so, uh, A, you are not... Uh, receiving the benefits of the gifts of others, if you're a Lone Ranger Christian, and then B, you're not providing, you're not using your gifts uh, the way that God has intended you to use them. So I think there's, I mean, that's something to consider uh, there as far as uh, not being part of of the church there. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Peter makes the same point in First Peter yeah. four. So, so First Peter four eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of mm-hmm. sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how are we going to do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? This is God's plan. Mm-hmm. This is God's plan for how we are to manifest uh, love to each other. So, and by the way, the passage I was thinking of earlier in First Peter was actually First Peter one, and it starts at uh, uh, twenty-two <coughs> to twenty-four. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So. Again, it, it ties back to what does it look like to be the church, as what you were saying earlier. What was Jesus' mm-hmm. last prayer in the high priestly prayer? That, that, that we would love one another. even and that they'd be one. That, that we would be one, right? And how is the world going to know that we are Christ's disciples, that we love one another? Now, I'm just trying to think one analogy that might help hit, hit home a little bit for, uh, for, for folks who are listening. And I know for myself, as a military guy, I just try to think of, I mean, the church in, in a way is a military organization engaging in spiritual warfare. I mean, we see that theme play out a lot in scripture, you know, armor of God, sword of the spirit, and, you know, you know the equipping of the saints. 
So I'm just trying to think for a second. Like, what if you were, uh, you were you you were brought into part of an army by the king? Okay, he recruited you for the army, and then he gave you all the equipment that you need to go wage battle and to fight alongside your your brothers, and then you decide you're not going to fight, or that you're going to do this one. You're going to go off and alone. You're gonna you're gonna leave the camp. You're going to um, not really get involved in any of that army business. You don't really like the army stuff. You know it's messy, uh, it's dirty. Uh, you don't really like some of the people there. You know their personalities kind of rub you the wrong way. Uh, you don't really like taking orders from subordinate commanders. And you know the army's not perfect. You know, and you you really want a perfect army to be a part of not this army that sometimes doesn't do things right. And so you refuse to fight. You, you refuse to use the weapons to put on the armor that the king has given you and to get involved with your fellow soldier. Yeah. Now that's a, and we think about that, I mean, that's almost like desertion in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a horrible concept, but I mean, that's taken very seriously in the military, the idea that a person who's part of a organization like that is refusing to basically join the fight. Yeah. And they kind of want to just go off it alone. And they say they love the king and the commander-in-chief, but they won't obey or listen or partake of the organization that the commander-in-chief has established. Well, uh, and like, even in this yeah. case, yeah, exactly right. And even of of the commander-in-chief himself. So, like, it, I think it's it's easy for us to, to gloss over the fact that the church <laughs> is Christ's body. Yeah. Right. So like in Acts nine, when, you know, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah. Here's here's Saul going to, you know, kill a bunch of Christians. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he doesn't say, why are you persecuting those Christians over there? Mm-hmm. Why are or you even my people? Why are you persecuting my people? Mm-hmm. And he says, why are you persecuting me? In other words, Jesus in this is uh, Acts nine, uh, verse four, Jesus so identifies with his people that to persecute his people over there is to persecute him, right? Mm-hmm. Why are you persecuting me? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, verse five. I mean, it's, it's very clear. So that's astonishing that, he, yeah. I, that Jesus so identifies with his people in that way. Yeah, that's but, true. And so that's, I think that's a very important thing to consider, very powerful, very powerful there. So, uh, you know, we cover a lot today as far as the church and, and, and uh there's a lot of important things there. And, and the one last thing I would say is, uh, you know, he's a, the, the church is the body of Christ, also the bride of Christ. And in this passage from Ephesians 5, um, the one last thing I would, I would throw out to our listeners who perhaps are still unsure about uh, loving the church and, and loving each other, uh, just consider uh, if you were to go, if a friend were to invite you to his house, and you would say, well, no, I love you, but I hate your wife. Right. Like that would be a very insulting and horrible thing to say yeah. to someone that you describe as a close friend, as your best friend. Mm-hmm. And yet to say, I hate your wife. I will not come over. I'll hang out with you privately, but not with you and her. And I think we need to really strongly consider that um, as we think about our relationship with the church, the bride of, the bride of Christ there. So um, with that, though, I'd like to start us off on to Proverb of the Day. Proverb of the Day. Are you ready this morning, Dylan, to be in a hot seat? Ah, sure. As ready as I'm going to be. Let's do it. All right. All right. So our proverb this morning is one of my favorite proverbs. And it's Proverbs 18.24, which is a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and go. Oh, man, so this is good. Well, no, this is really so. So I I would uh, think of this along kind of maybe two different tracks. I'm I'm going to start with the with the the second part, and then sure. the first part will kind of come into clarity from there. Sure. So in the second, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? Um, there is. A, I actually. So I was raised to love family and cherish family like we spent a lot of time with family growing up you know cousins are all, all around like holidays and stuff yeah, and yeah. getting everybody together and, I, and to this day i love that like that's that's just awesome to me and to think that like we're gonna 
um, you know, th- th- there is a heavenly family where we'll have a kind of like uh, similar situation down in, into eternity past. It's just awesome to think about. But now if, if you take those two ideas next to each other, right, mm-hmm. you have an earthly family where, you know, you're, you're close and you spend time together on the holidays and you're getting together and all this other stuff. Um, it, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And, and it is a, it is a gift from the Lord that he, that he would grant that to us. But now when we are, so when a person is in Christ and confesses Christ as Lord and savior, um, one of the things that happens to that person is it, it, it begins to take root at the center of your very identity, mm-hmm. right? Like, who are you? Like at root, you ask a Christian, who are you? And then they, they're one who is in Christ, right? At, at the center of who they are. Mm-hmm. And it reverberates through like all of the rest of their lives and, and, and characteristics that, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit begins to work in and through that person, begin to manifest themselves. Um, and, and, and so you have this person like at, who, at, for whom at the root of your identity is Christ, right? Yeah. And, and as that advances and, and as that becomes more and more entrenched, you become a, a more distinct you, you, you begin to realize that, you know, from, inter- from an internal perspective, you may have more in common with a, with a Christian brother or sister whom you've never met yeah. in, in, I don't know, China somewhere. Than even your blood. Than even your blood, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, and it's, it's, in one sense, it can be hard to say that, but in another sense, it's, it's a beautiful truth because that family that you are getting, this is another reason why somebody says, you know, I don't need the church. Think of all the bless, the blessings that you're missing out on. Yeah, yeah. Right. The blessing of community, the blessing of people praying for you and with you and loving you and doing life together with you. Like that. That's that's an incredible privilege, and that we would have that blessing from God is like we are gaining family in Christ. Right. We are gaining Christ in in one sense as an as an elder brother. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Here, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We we have, there is a passage, and and I, there's a risk of psychologizing this. I understand that, but there is a passage <laughs> where where Christ says, you know, I have not called you servants, I have called you friends. That's right. Yeah. Um. And I, we don't want to psychologize that and be like, oh yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. <laughs> yeah, homeboy. <laughs> Jesus is my buddy, right? All buddy, buddy and stuff. Like, no, it's just like with, with Aslan, right? Like he's dangerous, but he's good. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of yeah. like that, right? So, um. But he nevertheless is a friend of sinners. And here, like, first of all, along one path in one sense, Jesus is the friend and he does stick closer than a brother. Mm-hmm. We are, we have this union with Christ mm-hmm. that is infused by the, by the Holy Spirit and, and secured by that, that we apprehend it by our faith. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a, so that becomes so entrenched in our identity as, as, as focal. Now, that's much closer <laughs> than than flesh and blood. Yeah. Right. In another sense, now, similarly, we you can have friendship with someone who likewise shares that same that same uh, center identity piece. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you have Christ in common, That's true. and so you have everything in common. So you you could look at a friend in in a local church and be like, man, this this friendship that we have is eternal because it's rooted it's on someone eternal other surface level exactly it's not just like hey we we like to go to crossfit once a week together and we have that in common or we like to go you know go to the movies every once in a while we like to go grab some drinks with some friends like mm-hmm. that's cool and that's i'm not i'm not denigrating that i am saying it's not eternal right your your friendship is not rooted on something that will ultimately last it mm-hmm. will not survive death it's it is perishable Right. Whereas here you can have friendship with a friend who sticks closer than a brother and the bond is closer than flesh and blood Mm. because it's eternal. Mm -hmm. And because so like we know that faith doesn't run in the genes. That's true. You know what I mean? So like you're not going to have, you know, what the Pharisees say, you know, uh, what John the Baptist said said in response back, like, don't be fooled. You know, like God could raise up uh, children of Abraham from these stones. Yeah. Right. So like. It's not flesh and blood. That's not where we're staking the claim of faith, right? It rather is in Christ Himself. Yeah. So that's where I would I would go with that second half. And now the first half kind of 
the first piece kind of falls into place. A man of many companions may come to ruin. You just surround yourself with yes men. You just surround yourself with with people who, I'm not even going to say yes men, but people who like, who just, your, your friendships are rooted on things that are perishable. Yeah. Right? Like, ultimately, it's, the, the friendship then is so tenuous. I told the story one time of, I went to get my hair cut, and, uh, you know, I was, you know, they're supposed to make small talk, the yeah. lady who's cutting your yeah. hair. And she was super nice, super nice. But she was talking about, like, Netflix shows. And she was like, oh, have you seen such and such a show? I'm like, no, no, I haven't. Have you seen this other show? She's like, no, no, I haven't. Have you seen this? And we were going, like, back and forth and back and forth trying to find, like, common ground. We're trying, we're trying to find some common ground, on, like, on which we can, in some small way, build community build friendship. And ultimately when we realized we hadn't really seen any shows that the other had seen, we, we had exhausted our community building resources and everything was quiet for the rest of the haircut. <laughs> there was like nothing more to say, right? You know what I mean? We, we, had tr we tried, but, but that's the point. Like, suppose we had found a show, right? It's like you, you talk about this one show for a couple of minutes until and then it exhausts. Like, still exhausts. And, and that's the point. It's not the show, right? The point is eventually it exhausts. And when and we will come to ruin when our companionships are grounded on something so tenuous as um, I got nothing against shared interests and finding shared interests. They're delightful to discover, but they do not root friendship deep so deeply that that friendship cannot be compromised or even surpasses the as beautiful as it is to spend time with family, even surpasses that. That's true. Right? Mm. So Damn. that's where I would go here. No, that's good. No, that's very, very helpful and, and a beautiful application to this passage, this proverb. So, um, well, that does uh, uh, bring us to the end of our time uh, this, uh, this morning. And again, I thank you for tuning in to our discussion of the church. If you have any questions about uh, Dylan's understanding of of Matthew chapter 16 or anything else for that matter. <laughs> I that am teachable. Yes, right. I am teachable. Please don't hesitate and to I've email. I've a few reference, a few Bible references here. I'm sure we'll get it. It's like, Oh, actually it's this passage. Oh, no, yeah. Cause I, I'm doing some of this from memory. So no, my, of course, my, of course. my Bible trivia is lacking on some of those passages. <laughs> <laughs> so please don't hesitate to email us at uh, two guys in a Bible dot podcast at gmail.com. That's number two in front of that. And you can find a link on our, on our website, just go to twoguysinabible.org, and there'll be a link there for uh, sending uh, sending messages to us. Please, uh, you know, send us uh, reviews on iTunes. Uh, you can also reach us on our Facebook page, Two Guys in the Bible, there. So, again, thank you for listening, and I pray that this uh, discussion on the church has been a blessing to you and that you'll strongly consider uh, some of the things that, that we've talked about this morning. Uh, so... Uh, with that, thank you again, Dylan, for, for you know, leading us in this discussion. And uh, for our listeners out there, uh, take care and God bless. God bless. God bless.